Welcome to Not Your Ordinary Parts, a podcast where we talk about hard things associated with the human experience with the goal of increasing awareness, growth, and healing. You may hear information from professionally licensed therapists, life coaches, healers, doctors, etc. This information is not medical advice or therapy and is not meant to replace actual therapy or instructions given by a doctor or a personal therapist. I'm your host, Jalon Johnson. My guest today is Sarah Quigg. Sarah is a licensed trauma-informed therapist and the founder of Life and Balance Therapeutic Healing. Sarah is known to bring a special energy to therapy, and her style uses warmth, compassion, discernment, optimism, and collaboration. Sarah's role in therapy is very active. She challenges her clients, highlights where they are stuck, and encourages their transformation. Sarah pays close attention to patterns and listens to understand while blending the art and science of mental health therapy beautifully. Sarah helps her clients find their path forward because she truly believes individuals have the capacity to heal. So, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. I gave a a brief description of who you are, but so that the audience can get to know you a little bit better, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background and how you got to who and where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, having had my own major traumas earlier in life, I experienced going to therapy and early into my therapy, I had an epiphany that I wanted to be become a therapist at seven years old. You know, fast forward, I graduated with all honors from Nova Southeastern University with a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I studied mental health, addiction, trauma, behavior analysis, um, you know, and I followed that up with certifications and I did continuing education with Johns Hopkins where I studied depression and schizophrenia. And today I currently have um, and maintain a psychotherapy practice in St. Augustine, Florida, where I'm licensed as a mental health counselor, practitioner and trauma therapist. And I hope to finish my doctorate in traumatology. And the special thing about where I practice is I practice in my old therapist's office. So I kind of took over and created it my own space. Wow. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah. That must feel almost like you were able to start there and now you're, you're kind of taking over and providing a healing space as well. Man, that's got to feel good. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like a full circle. It's very empowering to be able to mm. see the end. Because in the middle, I didn't see that. Nice. Well, not only that, um, recently you were nominated for Best in Florida in Mental Health and Therapy. So that has also got to be something that is such a huge honor. Yeah, absolutely. For me, that's a way to be able to see hope tangible and to be able to give back what was given to me. Mm -hmm. I love that. You've also had some really difficult times that you had to go through recently. So first and foremost, I want to say I'm terribly sorry for your loss. And thank you so much for finding a way to share your th- your story through the pain. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, I want to quote something that you wrote because it was so beautiful and vulnerable about your experience. Um, and, and you shared it, which was, I thought, so profound and, and brave. Um, You said, grief is an experience to be carried, to be witnessed. And when life-altering events enter our lives, it makes sense that everything changes. 
Some losses rearrange the world. And when we come face to face with the fragility of life through experiences of profound loss, bearing a child has been one of the most heart-wrenching experiences as a parent I have gone through. Embracing grief as a sacred process has taught me to find ways to live with pain while still finding joy and meaning in life, ever so creating the capacity to carry the things in life that are really hard to hold. Would you mind kind of talking a little bit about what you experienced and what you had to go through and convey your feelings on it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I sit here in this space, it's hard to bring words and even know where to start in the story. I guess I can start prior to the event. You know, having children is one of my most cherished and treasured dreams of my life. And I was four months pregnant and so excited. Around Christmas time, I had what we thought was COVID. And a few weeks later, I developed shingles. And I knew something was wrong at this point, yet the OBGYN dismissed was too busy to see me. So fast forward two days before Valentine's Day this year, my miscarriage had started. I was rushed to the hospital as there was lots of blood. And in the ER, I learned that the baby had passed weeks prior. The doctor had given me an option of a DNC or to go home and actually give birth so I could keep the baby. So I gave birth at home to a stillborn baby boy that we named Thomas John Quigg. He was the fifth. And there is a chance that there might have been a twin um, that had been disintegrated when I had given birth. A day later, I'm back in the ER now with a systemic uterine infection. I had an emergency DNC surgery and I stayed overnight with IV antibiotics. They discharged me the next morning and by that night I was back in the ER with worse pain. My infection quickly escalated into septic shock and I was given less than 24 hours to live. My doctor didn't think that I'd make it past the hour. Um, for those of you who don't know what sepsis is, it's a life-threatening infection in the blood that affects the major organs, and it often results in death. So as my skin was turning yellow, I was beginning to have organ failure. The infectious disease doctor was explaining how sick I was and how serious the situation was. And at this time, I was having my second out-of-body experience where I felt I was being given a choice to choose life or death. And you know, I've never experienced anything like this before. And, you know, to sound cliche, I felt I had been given a choice between going to my body or going to the light. You know, miraculously, after being given all types of antibiotics through IV, I began to show improvement. My scans all came back negative for organ damage. And, you know, after the time spent into the hospital, the doctors, you know, discharged me with a pick line so that I, you know, could come back for three weeks of IV antibiotics. You know, the whole experience was horrific and it destroyed me emotionally. You know, I was told it would be about a six month recovery to be near normal. And I laughed as I thought that had sounded ridiculous. I was wrong as I'm still not fully recovered. And, you know, this is when the real grief had started. I was just coming out of shock, you know, though that took months. You know, we now had to bury our baby and face the facts of the situation and I have a five-year-old daughter who I had to show up for and process this with her as well as, you know, be her mother. And I didn't want to be around anyone. I cried for months, you know, in entirety, I was heartbroken and I had never endured this type of pain and loss. And now I'm trying to honor our son through being vulnerable today and helping others. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I can't imagine what it's like to be faced with almost losing your own life and then also losing the life 
of your your unborn child and then having to bury that child while being a wife and a mother and then having the courage to decide to share your story for others to be able to use it as a, a bridge to healing. So thank you so much for that, Sarah. And I'm so sorry for what you went through. Thank you so much. It's such an honor. I receive your words deeply. Um, how were you able to embrace grief? And how would you say your mental health was, was really affected? Well, first, I allowed the pain and the loss to be present, right? By honoring the grief and responding to grief through love by acknowledging the sorrow with a deep, profound affection. You know, what I've learned is that I have a deep and abiding faithfulness with my sorrow, which allows it to be expressed. I believe we have an opportunity to invite these painful parts to come out and hide in and hold them with compassion. You know, sorrow is an essential part of the human journey. It carries transformative potential if we allow ourselves to fully engage with it. You know, in the depths of sorrow, we can, you know, I think we can discover hidden reserves of strength and resilience, as well as an appreciation for life's simplest joys. You know, I don't believe that sorrow can be rushed or bypassed. I don't believe it's a problem to be solved or an obstacle to overcome. You know, rather, it's an invitation to engage in a deeply human process of healing and growth. You know, through my work of grief, my mental health was transformed, not in spite of my pain, but because of it. So the cracks and the fractures had become conduits through which I grew and evolved and expanded. You know, bearing the scars of our losses, I think, is a testament to our resilience and capacity for renewal. Oh, I love that. So cracks aren't something that we look at as negative, but something that we can see where we had an experience that, you know, shaped and molded us and use that to be resilient. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you. Um, how would you describe what mental health is just overall? Okay, so I think the short answer is mental health is a state of our emotional and psychological being. Now, I view mental health as a whole person perspective, and I work to underlie the physical and emotional causes of pain. So I think mental health is an individual's quality of life pertaining to their body, the nervous system, epigenetics, our conscious awareness, the psychological, social interactions, our emotions, um, brain development, physical and spiritual condition. So I think trauma is the root of mental health. And what I come to find from my professional personal experience is that we carry coping adaptations and patterns. You know, for example, how we deal with pain, you know, comes from that deeper program and wrapped around these wounds. So I think a part of improving mental health is learning how to unpack our trauma, including the body, right? Listening to the body and what it needs, regulating our nervous system, teaching the body to rest and feel safe. You know, I believe our symptoms are messengers from our body trying to get our attention. And I remember this quote that Buddha said, and he said, nothing arises on its own. And I think, you know, a part of what he meant by that is looking at interconnections, a connection between two or more things. You know, understanding the mind, um, you know, I think takes the study of all these disciplines, the somatic psychology, neurobiology, psychology, psychiatry, sociology, etc., right, to understand the functions and interpersonal biology, like how the brain, how the body, how the mind functions and changes in the context of relationships with others throughout life. That was so much more than just someone feeling like they're stressed out 
<laughs> because I, <laughs> I think that sometimes we don't have a true picture of what our mental health is because, you know, we were never given a, a map for what is all inclusive and what our mental health entails, our body, like you said, our nervous system, everything. I think that for the most part, you know, we, we see someone who may be um, struggling with their nerves or anxiety and we think that maybe they're having a rough day or something, but it's so much deeper than that. So thank you for your explanation of what mental health is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think about Gabor Mate when he says trauma is not what happens to us. It happens, you know, it happens, What it happens what's inside of us, <laughs> you know, and for me, when individuals come in and I treat them, I look at their responses, what's happening inside of them, you know, and that's a big component of mental health for me when I treat individuals. That was so validating for, for me to hear him say that because I think innately I knew that there was something happening inside but not having the language to describe what was going on or what I was feeling always made me feel a little bit like, you know, underqualified to talk about it. So hearing him say that and it it making so much sense that it's not just what happens to you, but it's what happens inside you. Because there's there's things that happen when you have traumatic experiences. It, it affects your body. It affects your nervous system, the brain, everything. So it, it was able it allowed me to say, yes. Thank you that there is so much more going on than just, you know, what happened to me. Um, so thank you for that. What did um, what did mental health look like for you growing up? Well, my mother valued therapy and support. So we would go to Al-Anon, which is a support group for those affected by the disease of addiction and alcoholism and we would surround ourselves with emotionally available and supportive individuals. You know, I myself went through some major traumas and had family chaos. So, you know, I tend to think that I use school and church to cope so that I could feel safe. Okay. I, I love the fact that you were able, I mean, despite having challenges with your mental health, I, I love the fact that your mom was supportive Um and made space for you to have that, that healing therapy. So that that's something that I'm, I'm grateful for because it allows you to now become who you are and help others in doing what you do. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So question, what things have you done differently or were, what things did you kind of pattern after to provide mental and emotional safety as a parent? Yeah. So first of all, I work on my own trauma and inner work to not repeat the same things that I had experienced. You know, as I know that children learn from modeling their parents, I want to work through my wounds so that I can model the healthiest version of myself. You know, I struggle, although I do my best to allow my daughter to have her own experiences and to try not to overprotect her. So her confidence strengthens. You know, another thing I think I try to do is to be honest and transparent with her and give her the space to feel however she feels so that I'm not shaming her, but giving her space to grow. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you had growing up as a child? I had the outlet through mm -hmm. my therapist and Al-Anon. I lacked having that through my parents. 
I felt like I wasn't being given the truth. So that was my reality. So I had a very hard time when I was older, um, seeing the reality of what life actually was because I didn't know my father was an alcoholic until I witnessed it at 29 years old. And I don't think that there was anything done intentionally to, um, kind of keep you in the dark. It may have been that your parents were trying to shield you from pain and hurt the best way they knew how with the tools that they had. So I think, yeah, I think building off of what our parents gave us allows for us to now, you know, take the baton and go a step further. Um, and, and I know for me and my experience with my son, like there are always things that I notice lately since I've, um, you know, I'm allowing more space for, for him to, to have his own autonomy and not be so critical because I, I growing up, everything, you know, that I experienced was super hypercritical for me. So I learned that that was a type of parenting style. And now when I see that, I say, you know, I'm teaching him or I was teaching him shame and guilt and all these things. And it, it didn't allow for him to be his authentic self. And what I want most is for him to be authentic, to be healthy, to be able to talk to me about anything. I want him to have a safe experience as a child. Um, and as his father, I want to model everything that I want him to be. And that's difficult for me because it wasn't modeled to me and not because it was intentional. It was just, like I said, our parents were working with what they had and the tools that they had to the best of their ability. Um, but I, I feel like it's our job now to, like I said, do more and provide more because we have the space and the safety and the tools and the knowledge. Absolutely. And, you know, when I hear you mention, you know, messages, I think the biggest message I received you know, first I had felt shamed and believing that I wasn't capable of handling the truth, you know, and that's kind of what I thought about when you were sharing that. So, you know, as a parent now, you know, let me rewind when individuals come in, I ask them this prompt and I say, what is one thing you were, you know, what is one thing you needed the most and you were not given or not given enough of? And if I answer that question myself, I would say the space to not be okay. You know, I grew up in a family system where my father, you know, 100% was a disabled vet and he had a broken back and a lot of the attention, um, you know, was on him. And I think why I have such a hard time today, you know, I thought about this last night is because when the attention gets on me, it feels so uncomfortable, but you know, what is growth asking of me in that moment? But I think it's, you know, the origin work around, you know, our, the system and the needs were focused on my father. And the one, you know, the one thing I take away from that though, is I remember he never complained, not one time, you know, he worked a program when I was little and I feel like I was given you know, a good start of learning what support was and learning what mental health was and learning that we need community, that we can't do this alone. That's great. So I wanted to ask you with everything that you experienced with mental health growing up, with your own journey in therapy, being a parent, uh, being a wife, what is it like for you to be a therapist? It's hard. Sometimes it can be dark 
scary, you know, on the other hand, it's so rewarding and humbling. You know, I think it's such an honor to be let into, you know, another's internal world, their emotional experience. And it's one that I do not take for granted. I think that because you view it the way that you do, um, and you hold like that sacred space for your clients that you you probably allow for so much more healing and vulnerability um, as opposed to someone who may be just rigid and looking at it as, a, as just a job or just a paycheck. Oh, thank you. I received that deeply. <laughs> so something that therapy um, encourages us to do is to feel our feelings. And for some, it mm-hmm. may be awkward if it was something that we were never able to do or had the safe space to do growing up. So I wanted to ask, like, what are feelings? Well, I think emotions or feelings begin as sensations in the body, right? That contain important information about how we're experiencing our current environment. I think emotions live in our body and feelings are our conscious experience of those emotions. You know, I think that emotions are teachers and I think feelings are just information, right? I don't believe they're good or bad or have a hierarchy. I believe feelings inform us about our environment, how we're laid into it and others, you know, and I believe our emotions are telling us to come home to our bodies, to pay attention to ourselves. I don't believe feelings are something to be escaped from, but rather something stepped towards and, I like to acknowledge that there's wisdom somewhere in these feelings, you know, yet to be found and expressed and notice which part of me feels sad or which part of me feels shame. And I think many of us can feel stuck when we begin to identify ourselves as the emotion instead of noticing how a part of us feels. And, you know, I think remembering our true essence is what emotions invite us back to. Wow. That was so great. (laughs) Um, I, I've, I feel that as someone who disconnected from my feelings early on in life, knowing and hearing you say what feelings really are, it gives so much more insight on how we can connect to our bodies and listen to what our bodies are telling us. Because I like to call feelings the language of the body. Um, and if mm-hmm. we can learn that language, now we can speak it fluently and we, we can have this dialogue with our body when we when we feel a sensation or an emotion or a feeling instead of getting nervous or shutting down, we can say, you know, what what is it that you're trying to say? What is it that you want to tell me? And that does so much more, I feel, for us to be able to process the message and then keep things moving. Yeah, absolutely. That's so powerful. And You know, I remember my mom sat me down and she told me she did not learn her feelings until she was 35 when she got into the program. And she told me how hard it was that, you know, she didn't have that language. And I remember her telling me, it's so valuable to learn what you feel in order to be able to get that need met. And that's Mm -hmm. something I always, you know, I always remember. Well, I feel like feelings are always felt. They're either unwelcome and ignored or accepted and processed. Um, So I want to ask you, what effect can there be on the body in either a positive or a negative way by ignoring and or processing our feelings? So you've heard of stuffing your feelings, Mm -hmm. right? I believe this can be very harmful 
not only emotionally, yet somatically, the body can retain the agitation, the negative, the overstimulated energy. And I believe it comes out in our habits. Um, you know, I think trauma can also show up 30 years later, 40 years later, um, whatever that might be. You know, I believe this possibly can cause disease and more physical problems. And I think when we process our feelings, this returns the body and the nervous system to safety and healing, right, to a state of peace and calm in the moment. You know, because I believe our bodies can take only so much of fight and flight until we shut down. I agree. You mentioned trauma a few times as well. And I know for me, I, mm -hmm. I always associated trauma with big things. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you encourage your clients to have a better understanding of what trauma is? Well, when somebody comes in, I teach them what trauma is, right? It, the work that I do, I tend to be a guide and like a how-to. So I ask them, have you ever held a secret? You know, have you ever held a secret that you felt pressure to hold? You know, most of the time they say yes. And they said, well, must, you know, what must that have felt like for you? And they describe what's happening in their inner emotional experience. And I say, well, is it possible that holding a secret is trauma? And then I, you know, I allow their experience and my experience and the education to be able to process and move them forward. And I go through all the little things and then we get to the big things. And then I say, well, you know, it makes sense that you must have disconnected from the part of you that felt really safe. And I kind of go in and that's where the process work, you know, begins. I love that. And that is such a great example of just feeling, number one, feeling your feelings and what those feelings mm -hmm. can do to the body if they impacted you in a negative way. So that, I, mm -hmm. I think that is a great starting point for someone to learn about trauma, asking them that question. Thank you. Okay, I want to quote one of your posts. You said, sorrow cannot be rushed or bypassed. It is not a problem to be solved or an obstacle to overcome. Rather, it is an invitation to engage in a deeply human process of healing and growth. So how can someone accept sorrow's invitation? Mm. Well... I think we either learn how to do it or we shut down. You know, I like to practice being open to all of what life brings us. You know, I believe our soul requires full participation to shape our character and bring depth into our lives. So when I hear the word acceptance, I think of finding a way forward. So, you know, how I did that, um, how I encourage others to do that is, you know, I ask the question, how do we turn towards the sorrow and stay soft to the beauty of the rhythms of the heart? And I think by giving ourselves permission to turn towards those threads of sorrow. I like that. There was something else that you said that I thought was also so, so good. Um, you said that you can speak your truth and you can be honest. You don't always have to defend. You don't always need to defend what you did or what you said or how you are, you can just say it. Why does it seem so difficult to feel our feelings and have open and honest conversations? Yeah, so I think the way that we're often taught about emotions has us believing that if we experience feelings like sadness or anger, that there must be something wrong with us or, 
you know, that we must get rid of these bad feelings quickly. And I think society seems to have told us what parts are welcome and which parts aren't. You know, every one of those experiences is a loss. And instead of held with grace, I think we tend to hold with judgment. You know, my patients often tell me that they feel there's something wrong with them. And I explain to them, there's nothing wrong with you, although their belief systems, you know, may be skewed and potentially something wrong with the circumstances and the traumas they have endured. So, you know, therapy digs to the root so that we can invite these vulnerable parts back in. And, you know, I think being vulnerable and showing these transparent feelings is an act of courage and quite the opposite of society's norm, you know, and I think it can be confronting to have hard conversations because we fear the outcome and what it might mean for the relationship or fear the conflict it may turn into, right? I think it's really vulnerable and valuable to think about our belief systems around conflict and what we associate with conflict and also the origin story of having hard conversations. You know, what did it look like in your family system? Did the adults have hard conversations with each other or with you? Um, how did it turn out? Was there conflict? How did they navigate this space? How were the hard conversations with you? You know, how did they treat you when they were having them? How did you feel when you were having hard conversations with a parent or caregiver? You know, just noticing some of those origin stories or the absence of, you know, looking at our, you know, what are the templates here? What did I notice? What's the information here? Yes, all of that. <laughs> every single one of those questions. Man, I felt mm -hmm. deeply every time you said one of those because it you know, it's, we, I feel like growing up, we just avoided the hard things. And that is where the, the answers are in those mm -hmm. hard conversations and those questions that people don't want to answer that they're avoiding. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, how have you been able to help your clients change their relationship with the effects of trauma on their lives and in their bodies? Yeah, so we do the work. Right. We get honest and accountable for our actions. We break down our part and the parts that we don't have control over, which is most everything. <laughs> you know, we work towards safety and finding a way to empower ourselves. You know, trauma always has a root cause and working through this is the only way I know how to effectively treat it. You know, I have found most people avoid these root causes with all measures of their ability. Why do you think that is? Hmm. You know, I think getting to know our inner world can feel so destabilizing and disorienting. And we've become so attached to a specific storyline and change is scary. So if I had to move past that storyline, there's a fear of uncertainty. And, you know, when I think about anxiety, I think about, you know, the root of anxiety being uncertainty and the opposite being trust. And I would have to learn how to trust myself that I am fully capable of navigating what's on the other side. Wow. How can someone's nervous system be a part of their identity if they've learned not to trust without them even really knowing that that's a thing? Yeah. So I'll use my own experience. You know, it wasn't until I started doing nervous system work that I learned about all of the ways I had shape shifted in order to source safety, security, you know, validation, approval, what that might be. And I understand, you know, as I was learning to understand the different parts of our nervous system, it was the way that I had sourced safety. You know, so when I think of, you know, 
the ventral vagal part of our nervous system being the most present and safe part of us and, you know, moving down when that doesn't work, the sympathetic part of us that is, you know, the fight and flight, you know, the part of me that tends to feel anxious or angry, the part of me where all the racing thoughts live and, you know, when that doesn't work, I, you know, move down to, you know, freeze where I have to, but I can't do it, you know, kind of stuck in that space. And then when that doesn't work, you know, shut down. And, you know, for me, I lived in the space of shutdown in all of my relationships for a very long time. And I remember the practitioner, I remember telling her, I felt so sad when I noticed that information, when I named that information, when I acknowledged that information. And she looked at me and she said, Sarah, if your nervous system can do that, you better believe and come back up to rest and regulation. And that for me was hopeful. And I started doing the work and figuring out how to feel safe, how to source safety, you know, somatically, you know, the nervous system doesn't speak a cognitive language that you and I speak. It speaks a somatic language. So I have to show my system I am safe, not tell my system. So I would, you know, when I noticed I had, um, you know, emotional activation, I would go to the freezer and I would pick up ice cubes and I would hold them because that would allow me to come back into the present. You know, you got to remember as children, we tend to revert back into our heads when we feel unsafe. So I notice I feel unsafe when I'm in my head and I have to find safety in the present. And I do that through essential oils, through ice. You know, I incorporate all of my senses as I do this. And I think, you know, when patients come in, I teach them how to use all of their senses, you know, so they can source safety from within and also resource others. You know, what can others do to help me? you know, bring me back into this, you know, into the present moment. And I, you know, for me, I think that's the biggest thing is to teach them safety. That's the foundation before we do any of the inner work. I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) Beautifully, beautifully hand on heart for that answer. That was so beautiful. Um, I, I didn't realize that our senses can bring us back to safety or back to our bodies, even smelling something, or like you said, holding ice that, that takes you out of your head. And the more you learn to do that, the more you can actually show your body and your nervous system. I am safe since it doesn't speak that cognitive language, like you said. Absolutely. So you're one of the most sought after therapists in St. Augustine, and you've been recognized on ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, the NYC Journal, Entrepreneur's Herald, Voyage Magazine LA, Disruptors Magazine, and major media outlets, um, and recently reviewed Kansas City and Marquis' Who's Who in America in August of 2022. What does that feel like? Well, you know, I just this year added these credentials to my business card and website. I really don't like the spotlight and You know, even this interview is quite uncomfortable for me, you know, and I feel blessed and honored to be recognized by such established and trusted companies. Well, I'm quite sure that it's Mm (laughs) well-deserved. What is Heart-Centered Thoughts? So Heart-Centered Thoughts is a self-healing product line that I created in 2019 during a global pandemic. My first product was a 52 affirmation card deck that teaches individuals how to heal. You know, writing has always been a way to self-soothe and it really helped, you know, to get me through hard times to write these thoughts down. 
you know, containment for me is the pen writing across the page. And after seeing it on paper, I thought it could bring hope and, you know, healing to others, um, to feel empowered and embrace what makes us human with tangible tools to create change. You know, and that's how the product line was born. Like as I was learning to transmit my pain into purpose and now it's pivoting towards helping others heal through grief. And, you know, I come out with multiple products a year and we are now in 15 different countries. You know, the website is heartcenteredthoughts.com. You can check it out. And, you know, one thing that I want to name is if you mentioned that you discovered Heart Center Thoughts from this podcast, I donated five Heart Centered card decks to the first five individuals that DM me on Instagram at the.heartcentered.therapist. Thank you so much for that. It's such a beautiful, thoughtful expression. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor. What can potential clients expect if they choose to work with you as a therapist? Well, the feedback that I get is I'm not like other therapists. I come prepared and I'm willing to jump in the hole with you to help you work your way out of that. You know, in saying that, I expect my patients to do the work. You know, I can't help them, nor do I believe anyone can if they're not willing to put the effort in or be an active participant in their own healing. You know, therapy isn't a quick fix and it's progress. You know, progress, I think, is all that is needed to move towards healing. And, you know, I really empathize with my clientele that this is hard work and, you know, I bring my own experience into it. All right. So last question, if you could use your platform to encourage anyone who may be struggling with their big feelings or emotions, or even just feeling their feelings, Mm -hmm. what would you say? So this is a personal question, you know, after I buried my baby, I did not want to go to therapy because I had a lot of shame and I didn't want to accept what happened. So I could say that, you know, the work that I've been doing since I have felt that way has saved my life. And I think that would be my answer. Wow. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this, um, for agreeing to do this with me. I know that you said that this was your first podcast and that you had turned down so many prior to this. So I feel honored that you said yes to me. Um, it is an honor and a joy to be able to share this space with you and to have the interactions that we've had um, leading up to this and just being able to prepare and go over these things with you. It's been so great. Oh, thank you. You know, the feeling is mutual. This is such an honor to be in this space and to do this work and, I'm just so grateful. Um, I am also super grateful. And I know that I I said that, but I want to reiterate the fact that having the opportunity to allow for you to share your story with what you just went through is such a gift for me because I don't know that I would have been able to do the same. And for me to give you a platform to share your story for anybody that may be feeling the same feelings has had the same experience. I love that. I have the the privilege to do that and the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the biggest thing for me is what I've learned through doing this, having this experience with you is we're not alone, Mm -hmm. right? We're not alone. And that's such a gift for me. I hope that's a gift for other people to know they're not alone. It's for sure a gift for me. And I I hope that anybody that listens to this feels the same way. Thank you.
Uh, where can people find you online and on social media? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at um, the.heartcentered.therapist. Uh, my Facebook is my name, Sarah Elizabeth Quigg. Uh, my private practice is sarahquigglmhc.com and Heart Center Thoughts is heartcenterthoughts.com. Right, perfect. Well, again, Sarah, I want to say thank you so much for allowing me to have the opportunity to do this with you and share space with you. Um, I'm so grateful for the work that you've done, the vulnerability that you show um, for who you are, for what you do and for how you do it. So thank you so, so much. Thank you.